Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Rhea Segal, Manager of Creative Insights from Getty Images. Thank you for being on. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what you do at Getty? Getty is such like this incredibly recognizable brand. So it's cool to speak with someone who's on the inside. Yeah. Um, so I am less than a year into my tenure at this company. And I got to tell you, it is a really massive company that does a whole bunch of things that I have yet to scratch the surface on. Um, but I feel like every month has been peeling back a layer. So I sit within the creative team. I think Getty is known a lot in popular culture for, you know, like the the watermarks on celebrity step and repeat images or news photography. Um, Though some people know us for um, commercial photography, what is sometimes pejoratively called stock imagery. Um, And I say pejoratively just because I think there's this constant association with a sort of like memes of white women eating salad and laughing, et cetera. (laughs) So what my role is within the creative team is to sort of be a bridge between creative content generation um, and discussions therein and um, the conversations we're trying to have with our customers who are actually using the content that is provided on our site. So what we do on the Creative Insights team is we we try to take a deep look at what customer behaviors are um, by looking at what they're searching for, by looking at what they're actually purchasing, downloading, using um, in internal and external facing imagery, Um, And then kind of compare that to what's going on in broader conversations in society. And so, you know, we'll be we'll be able to look at, you know, an increased number in searches for, say, mental health during the last couple of years during the pandemic and also track how that has been a larger conversation seen in news media. A lot of things that people are talking about in the healthcare industry. And we also um, launched this kind of first of its kind global consumer survey related to um, both general consumer attitudes and also how those explicitly relate to imagery. Um, We call it visual GPS and we cite it a lot in our work. Um, And we're about to hit the, I think the two year anniversary of this survey. Um, And so we're able to compare, you know, things going on in the world, things that our customers are doing with what the end consumer actually experiences and wants to see in their imagery. And then we kind of package all of that up and translate into what we see as actionable insights for, um, for marketers and brands, and also use our research to inform kind of what needs to be focused on in content creation. It's, it's so fascinating and so vast. Uh, and as someone, I'm a video producer, so I use Getty uh, images and video often. Um, so I've, although my dream might be to be in one of those step and repeat images, my, you know, my life is, is our whole everyone's dream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Isn't it so funny that you see the little Getty image and you're like, ah, they, they have the life. They figured it out. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the journey that led you to this role? And I know it's maybe not a traditional journey, but I feel like so often creatives and marketers um, 
kind of live really dynamic and unique lives prior to entering into this world. So I would love to hear yours. Yeah, for sure. I think it is non-traditional. Um, uh, my work and well, my education and then my work have always been really based in and grounded in interdisciplinary thinking and also interdisciplinary ways of working. And so I had to like make a list for myself of the kinds of things that I've done over the last 10 years that I have been a, a paid laborer. Um, so things I've done, I have edited books, I have curated exhibitions, I have consulted on brand strategy, I have made research-based performances, mostly about diversity and inclusion, we'll talk more about that later. Um, <laughs> I've organized public programs for arts and humanities institutions, I've led exercises in object-based teaching at museums, I've built vocabulary um, to describe art objects to use for um, searchability and education on a digital site. Um, and all of these things have sort of been undergirded by a post and decolonial lens and an emphasis on kind of centering the voices of people um, and communities that kind of have not been centered so much, especially in popular culture. But, you know, previously I was more focused on the art world and then um, I had a fellowship a couple of years ago at the International Center of Photography, shout out ICP. I was a fellow in visual culture there for two years, which was meant to, to kind of help provide ways for people to understand the visual world around them. And we did that a lot through things like public programs where we, you know, we would partner with organizations that would host Wikipedia edit-a-thons, we would put together poetry readings that were sort of acrastic poetry, which is um, a style of poetry based directly in response to imagery. And I started developing and then later hosted this series there called Optics, which was about new ways of looking at contemporary culture. And what we would do is we would look at both images in ICP's archives and then images circulating in pop culture today, whether those were, you know, sort of in the more like niche echelons, you might say, of the, the visual art world or the fine art world, all the way to advertising and memes and kind of talk about how they, in conversation, told us what's going on. Um, and we did those on things as, as diverse as like climate change, um, body inclusivity, um, the, the take a knee movement and things like that. And so I think that really kind of opened me up more to an interest in visual culture writ large, where I had previously been more narrowly focused on the art world. Um, I started to see and connect more the ways in which um, popular imagery, not only like in our televisual media, but in billboards, in social media ads and everything just impacted so much of how people see and experience and understand the world. Um, and, you know, I read a stat recently that said that people see on average, like more than 10,000, yeah, 10,000 or up to 20,000 ads a day. And then when you think about it with social media, they're seeing even more imagery. And so coming into a role like this felt like an opportunity to kind of like get into the belly of the beast of visual culture. And um, if I'm going to mix metaphors a little bit, I feel like the health of the body is so, um, is so connected to the health of the gut. 
And so if I can sit here in the gut of visual culture, I can maybe like make more of an impact around what kinds of visuals people are seeing with and engaging with and trying to help them, you know, develop the tools to understand, critically understand the imagery that's being served to them like a mile a minute. It's, awesome. it's so fascinating. Do you find that coming from more of an arts background, uh, that there's some sort of flow from maybe the themes and topics that show up in the art world and then, you know, kind of naturally flow? It almost feels like there's maybe a canary in the coal mine thing happening where the art is on top of it first and then sort of culture adapts and integrates into more of like a commercial uh interpretation of those themes does that is that something that you've experienced yeah I think that's very apt and I think it often it like starts in academia and the art world and those are places that I feel very connected to and then kind of trickles out into into broader culture and I think we're seeing that more and more just because of like the acceleration of exchange between these worlds so much stuff that might have been traditionally kept like cloistered in a museum collection, a private collection, a gallery that people might find inaccessible is now like on your phone. Artists are expected to have such a social media presence. Even academics are expected to have such a social media presence to kind of like make their make their theories known. Um, and so I, I feel like we're in an acceleration point of the culture game right now. Yeah, big time. Um, but it's, and so in, in a way, like, it doesn't surprise me that I've ended up in corporate America, though I never would have thought I'd find myself here like 10 years ago. Well, your role specifically is, I would say, relatively new. And now it seems very essential. Can you talk about what it means to be in your role and have this responsibility to better reflect the outside world or better reflect um, the themes that are so vital in our culture right now? Sure. It's a big responsibility. <laughs> and what um, yes. and I, I just want to say one thing that I appreciate about um, the team that I work on is like, I'm not the only super interdisciplinary person who's come from a non-traditional career path and they really value um, everyone's pretty unique perspectives and like want want us to be out there elevating the ways in which we approach visual culture, you know, understanding our team ethos, but also coming at it from our own lens. Um, so in terms of the newness of this role, so Getty Images, interestingly, unlike a lot of places, I think has had insights and creative insights people for a very long time, like 15 years or so, but the role has changed really significantly from going, going from making those sort of, you know, the splashy, really fun um, kind of trend reports that we often see at the end of the year um, from, from other companies that I really love to see uh, to, to being much more data centric and consumer focused and really um, I think we've been really invested over the last several years, you know, even before I started, but since I started, I've just been feeling it ramping up as well in making um, diversity, equity, and inclusion really kind of central to our, our work. 
um, and pretty central to the kind of content that's also created for our site because it's what it's it's not only what customers want, but it's like it reflects the actual world, you right. know, just as you were saying. Um, and so I, okay, real talk, I'm like hella skeptical of marketing as an industry, <laughs> as an apparatus, hella skeptical. And I think it's yeah. important to have skeptics around because there are so many ways in which, you know, things in real life that are really important people are repackaged to them in ways that feel I don't want to say inauthentic because that that doesn't even get to the core of it like like negating the power or negating the gravitas of certain situations right I mean I'm thinking about like the popularization of Juneteenth all of a sudden which we saw rising in searches like over 1000% over the last year as if this was something that the world just discovered for the first time. And so now we're going to like put some splashy balloons up and have a sale about it. And so mm-hmm. I get it. Like people need to make their money and companies will do that sometimes by hook or by crook. Uh, but I'm not interested in the by crook, I guess. <laughs> um, and I sort of, I, I just feel like it's, um, it's important to think really responsibly about how you're approaching representation. And I feel like our ability to not only look at data, look at like what people are looking for, but also sit down with the actual images that are being made and that are being used and look at like how stereotypes may or may not be being reinforced and be able to like give people the the kind of Socratic method tools of being able to ask critical questions to call out what they're seeing as potentially problematic or, you know, force them to do a little bit more research before they slap an image on something and say, um, now our brand is no longer culpable of X form of exclusion or discrimination. Right. Yeah. I, Sorry I like, to get on my high horse for a second. No, I love that. I no, think it's, it's great. It's so important to to maintain a level of skepticism to, you know, the messages that are constantly being bombarded. Uh, and I love your sentiment on it's not only in order to get more authentic, it's, it's pairing that with responsibility. It's authenticity plus a responsibility of companies to have these insights, be them data-driven or just you know, have these cultural insights to where we can go like, this is maybe it's a cool image, but maybe it doesn't tell the right story or it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a fan of what you've been saying. Uh, Or maybe it doesn't align with our overall messaging. Right, right, right. Or, you know, there, there are all sorts of, there are all sorts of instances in which companies get it wrong. And then there are a lot of instances in which companies are, Marketers in particular are scared of getting it wrong. Um, and so I th- think another thing that we try to do in, in the way in which we publicize our insights, um, which I can speak to a bit, is, is to help people kind of get over that fear because they have us as thought partners. Yeah. Um, they have us as guides and we have published literal guidebooks um, that people can access for free um, <laughs> to, to be able to, to look at how conversations, particularly regarding issues around diversity and inclusion, um, how they're shaking out in different countries, how they're shaking out in different 
ethno-racial communities or um, queer communities or communities with disabilities um, and be able to have useful data at their fingertips, both about demographics and what's going on in imagery and some directional tools to, to point them towards better forms of representation. That's not, so you're providing resources so that brands can be less scared of getting it wrong and more empowered yeah. to get it right, maybe? I think so. I think so. So, um, for instance, we published in partnership with the GLAD Media Institute, a set of um, guidelines around how, how to um, picture the LGBTQ plus community and all of the diversity within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, we've been working, and I've been very involved with this project that we've been working on with um, the city group to um, create diversity, equity, and inclusion in imagery toolkits for um, different markets around the world. And I think one thing that I really appreciate about that is we tend to think, and I say this like here sitting in the United States, that diversity and inclusion is like just a thing here, or maybe it's just a thing <laughs> yeah. in the UK. Isn't, but in fact, most there things are, just in America? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> megalomania perhaps but um, um the the conversations or the issues regarding diversity inclusion and equity in different countries just look different and we sitting out here may not necessarily know the right questions to ask may not know the context of what's going on in places like India, which I've um, created a toolkit for recently, or Brazil, which I'm helping make a toolkit for right now. Um, but you know, we've gotten some some external research from partners. We've conducted really robust analysis of the kinds of visuals that people are downloading. Um, we have a lot of really useful demographic data. And the context about what feels most salient in that region. And so using that information, we're able to provide, you know, like region specific questions that people can ask themselves when they're choosing imagery that includes people with disabilities, people of different ages, people of different genders, what have you. Yeah. Um, just to simplify, what do you think brands can do? to inspire more trust, faith, and representation in their imagery? Like, what can they, is it just grabbing these resources? Is it uh, hiring for these specific roles? Is it uh, listening to more podcasts? <laughs> um, I feel like there, I mean, there's always more that people can do. Um, I really think when it comes to, if you're trying to, appeal to a certain community through your marketing, you best know a lot about the people you're pushing your messaging to. Yes. And whether you do that through hiring a, an, an insights person who can do that research for you, whether you're going and interviewing customers or non-customers um, to find out what it is that makes them tick, what they think feels important or authentic or relevant or what they actually need. Um, I think that that does a lot. And the other thing I want to say is images are, are one part of a larger picture. 
of course. You know, we um, our visual GPS research. Um, one of the questions we asked in our recent visual GPS study was, um, how do you know that a company is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And in fact, the number one thing that people said was that they include diversity of all kinds in their brand communications and the imagery that they choose. Um, I'm a little bit more of a skeptic on that. I think that that is really important. It shows, it kind of shows the politics that you want to perform. But if your policies don't line up with um, that which you're projecting out on the surface, then there will be any number of people from the inside, as we have seen over the last few years, who will very happily drag you publicly. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I like, I have personally not been especially involved with, you know, DEI policy in the institution I'm in currently, but I have been in previous roles. And that that's always been really fundamental to my work because um, it has never felt like an option for it to not be central to my work. Can you talk about what it means to sort of ha have this role as an instigator within your business or to push these diversity and inclusion gaps within your business and maybe what someone who is early on their path, uh, you know, maybe some insights around, you know, how do you get started and how do you excel at this sort of vantage? Yeah, well, I'd say if, first of all, if you're, if you're new to the fight, welcome. Also, where have you been? Um, we've been waiting <laughs> for you out here. And especially, you know, speaking as a person of color who is gender expansive, we are often the people who are doing all the work, who've had to do all the work for our, our livelihoods to make sure that we're seen as relevant and useful and taken seriously. And so it is always great to have more strength in numbers. Um, what I would say is if you're if you're thinking about where you want to make your intervention, um, I'd say first take a step back, see what's actually going on, you know, whether it's within your organization or within another part of culture. Um, listen to the people who have been leading the fight, even if they're not the people who, who are um, seeing the most in media, perhaps. Um, and then think about, like rather incisively about what part of this big beastly apparatus you actually want to intervene in. I think that um, choosing imagery that is equitable and inclusive and representative of actual people, that is one very small thing that makes a difference, right? If you peel that back a layer, it's about who's making the images and what tools are they being given to do their work. And so that is a place that you can intervene. It can be in, in uh, you know, the sort of more financial parts of institutions, thinking about how resources are allocated. Um, are, are you paying your 
content creators, especially a fair wage and the kind of fair wage that, um, you know, people who are full-time employees at an organization might experience um, because, you know, our, our media makers are some of the most precarious workers in, um, at least in our like more white collar society. Um, there's, there's like internal human resources policy kind of stuff that you can be involved with. Um, in terms of hiring, in terms of upskilling your current worker base, there are just so many ways to get involved um, and so many different lenses to take. So I'd say, you know, as always, do your research, listen, listen to what people are saying around you and, and try to, to listen for what you're not hearing. Um, because that'll usually point to a gap, uh, a thing that people are not focusing on that probably needs focus. Can you talk about where listeners or companies that are tuning in uh, can find Getty resources to learn more about the work that your team does or that uh, maybe some of the guides or the tools that you mentioned earlier? If you go to visualgps.com, you can find data from our visual GPS survey. Um, and some of it is designed really beautifully. We're going to be releasing more findings as they come in. And I think that's a really good place for folks to get um, interesting consumer insights as they relate to visuals. And then um, there is a landing page where folks can, um, can download the city DEI imagery toolkits. And we can provide a link for that that maybe you can share in the show notes or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and those currently, I, love that. I think we just have two of the toolkits available right now for the US and the UK. But over the course of the next six months, we're going to be publishing toolkits for Hong Kong, for India, for Brazil, for Canada, for Turkey, and more. Oh, it's so inspiring. The work you do yes. is both inspired and important. Um, Mackenzie, do you want to introduce the next segment? Yes. Sorry. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I can talk all day. Also, so we can do that. Stand with the brand is this segment. Pinterest um, is stepping up for Women's History Month by providing 10 women-owned businesses on their platform with monetary and strategic support via their Pinterest Elevates program. This was started in 2020. And the end goal of this program was to assist Black business owners impacted by the pandemic and expand to cover 55 businesses owned by individuals who are BIPOC, disabled, or LGBTQ plus communities. Each participant in this will receive ad credits, tailored um, training insights, boost brand visibility, um, and better connect with their pinners overall. Previously, Pinterest was in a little bit of hot water, as I like to call it, when a suit was filed due to a toxic work environment for women and Black workers at the company. Uh, it committed to $50 million to their DEI program. They already had it in place, but this was a huge signal for them to focus in on this because it was 
red flags on red flags happening. Uh, they already have a head of inclusive product and they have rolled out several features such as skin tone searches to make its product more inviting to people from all different backgrounds. Do you stand with the brand Pinterest or do you take a seat? As I mentioned, I'm a skeptic. So like I'd have to take a seat, but I'd be welcome, like very willing to take a seat with them to have a conversation and really learn more about how have all of these diversity and inclusion initiatives internal to their company have been shaking out um, beyond, you know, this, this offering of monetary support during Women's History Month, which is like all, all well and good. It is a lovely thing to do. Um, how does this actually relate to their overall strategy as a business? Um, what metrics are they using to evaluate the success of this program? Are they going to be staying in touch with and providing more mentorship opportunities? for these folks who have, have won this esteemed um, sweepstakes prize? How did they choose the people who received these grants? Was there, was there a, um, an application process? Were folks selected based on, you know, um, how many followers they have? Uh, how inclusive, when looking just at women even, how inclusive are they being in terms of the people that they've chosen to support? I could ask like a million more questions like this. So I would sit down and have a conversation with the brand. I absolutely love that. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think that it can be kind of, and this might even be controversial to me to say, but it's it needs to be said. Um, I think it can be easy to throw money at things. Yeah. And then if you're not following through on them, uh, that's where I'm curious too, is what insights are they using? Is it based on followers? Because for me, if I have a brand like Pinterest or something else, um, I would love to have people, I don't want to care about follower account. I want to know, is this going to benefit you? And is this going to provide you with something so that you can go and be successful yourself? Mm -hmm. um, I think there is, I'm curious to see how this shakes out because it is, you know, there is one month for Women's History Month. And is this going to be something that's going to be carried on throughout the year in the future? Um, what does that look like? Uh, those are my questions as well. Uh, I love the sit down with them and have a little chat uh, <laughs> over some coffee or tea. <laughs> some nice steaming hot <laughs> yes yeah i kind of i i'm definitely in line with you too uh it feels like companies rarely change unless there is a like a little explosion or a little moment that forces change or a or a public yes. crisis or some sort of you know like when a company is rolling they're usually just going to stay on that path right they're you know, yep. benefiting their bottom line, they're benefiting their stakeholders. But it feels like this was a reaction to maybe an internal crisis or a moment, which I would say, Rhea, probably happens more often than it should. And I wanted to ask you, Rhea, if you have any insight into what success looks like in this regard, especially from a corporate setting, are there companies that have taken meaningful steps toward this without maybe an internal explosion that forced them to address it in a public way. Almost, it almost feels like a, a press conference after like. Uh, yeah, I, somehow I doubt it. I have no idea though. <laughs> um, 
I, I don't think that it necessarily requires public shaming in order for a company to do better, but um, even internal reckonings can be challenging to deal with. And a lot of times, I think the reason why things have become so public is that it feels like you can have the chorus of the crowd on your side a little bit more. Whereas if you're one to five lone workers within an organization that that feels like it's not mission aligned or that feels like um, they're not practicing what they preach or that they've fundamentally mistreated you um, in your work environment. It can be really alienating and feel very scary to report bad behavior like that. Yeah. So I I would be hard pressed also given my not huge breadth of knowledge of corporate change um, to be able to point to like particular instances in which a company has done better just because they could. Um, I'm sure it's happened and like good job to them, but also shouldn't we all be, shouldn't we all be trying to do better just because that's what we should be doing instead of because um, of a PR mishap? Yeah. The other thing that I want to say is like change is really slow and wonderful opportunities like this Pinterest elevates project are great ways of, you know, throwing money at a problem, saying that we support change without making, without um, necessarily having to do the internal work within your organization or even within yourself um, to say like, we're, we're ready and willing to make change within our organization. Um, I have been the recipient of diversity fellowships, literally called diversity fellowships. Um, and when I, in my, in my role as a diversity fellow was asked to like poke into an institution, kind of unearth some of the problems that um, the folks there were experiencing was sort of told like, that's nice. And now your tenure is done. And so we can continue getting on a, a diversity fellow for a year. Um, they can do their little project, but we don't have to fundamentally change as an institution. So I don't know. I guess this is a long way of saying I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, a, it's just fascinating the types of conversations that these types of initiative will create. Because I think... Um, if anything, there's a positive ripple effect of major companies getting on board with at least publicly saying, like, this is our initiative. This is where we're pledging our dollars. This is where we're pledging our goals. Um, and I'm wondering, I mean, you kind of answered it. I was wondering if Getty had, if you could see trends that were leaning towards a, a better represented visual landscape. Because I do feel like Getty is such a massive part of our visual awareness of the world. Um, yeah. Beyond the step and repeats, which my God, I'm right. beyond those so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you wait, Nick. I'll, I'm sure I'll see you there one day. Oh. I one thing that I would point towards that has been really successful in recent years is the development of um, imagery collections that kind of spotlight particular communities that have been under or misrepresented in imagery in the past and kind of continue to be under and misrepresented and um, brief contributors on the kinds of content that needs to be made. 
So there is, for example, the Disrupt Aging Collection, which was created in partnership with the AARP, kind of show, you know, new visions of what it is like to be an older person, you know, instead of only seeing um, visuals of elders in healthcare settings or like as grandparents, but showing them living full, active lives. Um, We have the Nosotros Collection that was really spearheaded by folks in my department um, aimed to repicture and bring greater authenticity to images around Latinx people in the United States. Um, there's also the Show Us collection that, um, that we created in partnership with Dove and Girl Gaze. And that is, that's a collection that is ever expanding. And we're always like inviting people to shoot to briefs on that, um, that, that focus on women and gender expansive people um, in contexts in which they're not traditionally seen. So like not as mothers, not as assistants or nurses, but as, you know, and also to say like those things are not bad when seen um, in individual instances, but when those are the patterns that people are seeing over time, it's kind of about, I think these collections are really trying to intervene in and change those patterns so that we see a more expansive set of what people's lives actually are like, always using an intersectional lens. Yeah. Love that. And you guys have a really awesome collection of office workers in a new collection, I believe that I think is awesome. Whoever <laughs> got that brief nailed it. Cause the lighting is I use it all the time. Yeah. Um, nice. Making my boring office videos. <laughs> uh, awesome. So our final segment is just kind of some open-ended questions for you to sort of philosophize on. Um, yeah, that's so the first question in our final segment is, uh, what have you done recently for the very first time? Um. This is not terribly exciting, I suppose, but I've started going to physical therapy. Um, I injured my ankle pretty badly, trying being a little too cavalier in a slot canyon on a hiking trip. And um, I am not as young as I look. And so uh, I'm just recognizing the ways in which my body is experiencing its limits and is not healing as fast as I'm traditionally used to it healing. And so it's been really lovely to to work with and learn from a person who is a specialist in how muscles and tendons are supposed to work together. Um, And I'm like horrible at exercise. And she has me like doing gym things, like lifting weights, which is hilarious to me, but also uh, it's quite nice. It feels pretty good. Yeah, I love that. I've I been on that. that. Uh, I've been on that journey too. I, uh, when I was living Same. in Los Angeles, I, to sort of combat my own aging, you know, body, I joined one of those rock climbing gyms where you like climb up the walls. I thought it was very cool until I slipped off the wall maybe like four feet, and my ankle rolled so bad that I like Ooh. couldn't walk for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it was just no. it reminded me like no no. Come on, what, what's the deal, ankle? Why you're yeah. supposed to hold my whole body for my whole life. What a weak, dumb joint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Evolutionary misstep, the ankle. Yes, the ankle. <laughs> the ankle, yes. 
Um, if you had, uh, this is our second question. If, if you were to bring one thing to a show and tell, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring? Um, well, speaking of evolutionary things, this is like a nice evolutionary thing. And I'm saying this because it's sitting right next to me. I have, um, I am propagating a Transcantia Zabrina. Um, <gasps> I have many, so I've kind of become ugh, one of those like typical plant people. <laughs> Um, that you like see everywhere over the course of the pandemic. I'm going to Getty image search right now. (laughs) Typical plant people. Typical plant person. Um, Over the course of the pandemic, like at a certain point, I had 77 house plants. That's Um, amazing. And a lot of them did really well. A couple of them, you know, I was like plant sitting for some people and some of them have withered. But this guy... Um, I got as like just a little, little sapling essentially um, some years ago. And it, I've had many iterations of it all over my home. And no matter what, if it dies, it kind of never dies. It will always propagate really effectively. And I feel like, I don't know, I read Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer some years ago. What a book. I love that book. Sorry. It's a good book. <laughs> it's and so I good. feel like there are so many opportunities for us to learn from the natural world and to yes. learn from plants. And I feel like I'm learning things about resilience and and at least the theory of rather than, you know, the human practice of growing back limbs once things have failed and, you know, starting over in a new fresh space. Yes. I, I love, love that. that. I would be riveted if you brought in that plant and told that tale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be invited to this show and tell, but right here is great. <laughs> yeah. There's not enough adult show and tells. Maybe adult show and tell I sounds agree. terrible. Like that sounds like some sort of weird, like meet us at 2 a.m. at the corner. Um, all right. The, uh, the last question is uh, if you had to give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what do you think you would give? This is the advice I would give my younger self. A job is a job and labor solidarity is good for bringing humans together. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. I, that's, this has been one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. So thank you for brightening yes. my gloomy, snowy Denver, Colorado Wednesday. Likewise. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. I don't know if there's anything more to say. A job is a job. That's it. A job is a job. <laughs> That's it. Do you want to plug anything? Oh, yeah. Do you have anything um, that you're looking forward to or anything to do with Getty or not to do with Getty that uh, is on the horizon? We worked with uh, this organization called See Her, which is a member of the ANA. That's that's aim is kind of change um, the way that women and girls are viewed in advertising. And we worked with them on a series of guidelines about um, how to how to better um, or how to create more inclusive storytelling around women. And we published those in 2020. And I have been working on kind of a refresh of them using more of our internal data, some of that visual GPS um, insights, as well as, you know, kind of honing in on a more intersectional lens and providing that framing for people in a more robust way. So those will be coming out 
um, hopefully in May of this year. But um, awesome. I think it will be, it's one thing that I appreciate about the work that I get to do is we are iterative in our work and we're constantly improving on the molds that we've already set. And I think that was a strong goal that was set and and it just shows the dedication of the team that I work on to constantly improving on the tools that we provide to folks external to our organizations that they can make better choices themselves. So awesome. I love it. It's really, truly been just lovely and such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank yes, you. Thanks so much. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.